Mr. Rob Hammersmith of Skidro. How you doing, dude? Good morning. I'm good. How are you doing? I don't know, man. You're not keeping rock star hours being up at 10 o'clock, man. <laughs> dude, I've been up since 6.15. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to shatter the illusion, but, uh, unfortunately I'm turning into a farmer. I'm up at the crack of dawn and, uh, that doesn't mean I'm accomplishing grand things with my time. It just means I'm not sleeping. Yeah, I kind of feel like whatever schedule I keep for the year 2020, it just doesn't count. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll start fresh next year. Yeah, none of this counts, actually, dude. This is all just this is all just like a big dress rehearsal. Uh, yeah, it seems like it. it seems <laughs> like it. So, what has been going on with you uh, since uh, the whole COVID thing? So, you know, Skid Row, Skid Row had some shows going on earlier in the year, and then things kind of started to crumble a little bit with the announcement of COVID, and then you guys needed to get uh, the ZP back home, like, before yes, it got crazy. That's right, yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah. you're just stagnant, so, like... Like, like, how did that all unfold for you? And like, was it just like a weird, like whirlwind kind of thing? It well, it's yes to 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 both um, both sides of that. It was it was strange. I, and I remember the dates. We were out playing uh, March thirteenth and fourteenth. And if you remember, going back to mid March, that was when things kind of really started to get weird here in the U.S. And we had all been watching the news reports and and we had all been paying attention to the story, but it still seemed like something that was was over here. It was more mainland Europe and it was... Mm Again, at, at the time, we all thought this was going to be, eh, you know, this will this will have us upside down for a couple of months or maybe a few months. We all really, exactly. yeah. at the time, I, just probably like yourself and like everybody else, we kind of thought that eh, by summer we'll be back out there and, mm-hmm. and we'll all laugh about this. Uh, 
and here we are in <laughs> in late October, and nobody's laughing yet. So, uh, or, so that's or, the, or we're that's all the laughing, just like, it. <laughs> it's like, or we're all laughing, just like very like kind of insanely, like like ah, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's definitely an awkward uh, an awkward laughter, is it not? It's a, you know, like everybody else. I I think we were just trying to kind of make sense of it all, and and nobody nobody knows, nobody knew at the time what the right thing to do. That we were just kind of trying to figure it out. And you want to be optimistic, you want to be hopeful, you want to think that we've got this under control. And in a couple of months, we all thought we'd be back out on the road playing shows by summer. Right. And obviously, obviously, that's just not not the case so so you guys had like a big tour actually going on for the summer it was like you guys and rat and tom Kiefer and so, someone else on the bill and slaughter slaughter, yeah, slaughter, slaughter. was on okay. the bill with us as well yeah so like, we had a yeah it was going to be a very nice uh, a summer package it was going to be a nice little little run there were actually two legs of that tour scheduled if i remember correctly mm-hmm. and i could have these numbers wrong i think it was approximately 35 to 40 dates with that package. Uh, and then obviously we had a, our own schedule um, mm-hmm. bouncing back and forth between between Europe for some festival dates and, and some gigs on our own. So we had a really busy summer on the books and everybody was looking forward to it. And, and uh, obviously that all evaporated as this whole thing unfolded. So. I mean that's not, that was that was one of those tours that you know I mean call it nostalgia call it whatever you want you know but you know it's it's you know like I I mean I've I've seen Skid Row and I've seen Tom Kiefer and I've seen Rat all within you know the last decade or so and all you guys gotcha. are, are playing great shows still like uh, like putting on good I mean great performances the quality of the shows is good and you know so I was really excited to kind of see a tour that not only kind of boasted boasted a nostalgic value to it, but that also kind of brought along like a, yeah, we might be, we might be nostalgic, but we can still fucking do it. Does that, do you know what I mean? I, well, thank you for saying that. I, I feel that way about, about that particular lineup and, Mm -hmm. and about that situation. Um, obviously I, anything I say sounds biased, uh, (laughs) but, but it's, could. it's nice should, to man. hear other people say that. And I'll tell you what, the next time Slaughter's in town, I'm going to take you, and it's on me because they're a great live band. <laughs> I love those guys. I love them. So I, I'll, I'll, uh, as yeah, long I'll as Mark Slaughter out. is not bigger than me, like I'd be game for it, man. You know. You know what? There's, <laughs> there's a. Uh, they're they're fun. We enjoy playing with those guys, and, and it it would have been a fun summer, but uh, but uh, you know what? That's just the. Uh, it wasn't in the cards for us. So. Well, so being the fact that yeah. none of the bands are necessarily, I mean, because these days, like, you know, bands like you guys, like Skid Row, Kiefer, whatever, you know, you know, Slaughter, everybody, like all these bands, it seems like a lot of bands in general don't really tour on album cycles much anymore. It's more about just getting out and right. doing like these kind of like fun runs of sorts, you know? I yeah. Mean, I've laughed about this with, with people when I, when I talk about it, it's, you're exactly right. It's it's less about album cycles and and although when you mention these particular bands, a lot of a lot of these bands and and ourselves included, we're still active making new music. It's mm-hmm. it's you're exactly right. It's less about album cycles and and the tours have become less about being a commercial to drive record sales and it's kind of become the other 
the the inverse of that. So it's kind of like new music is something, number one, we do it selfishly because we're artists and we just love doing mm-hmm. it. So it makes us happy and and we're realistic about about our role in, in the whole big machine these days. We understand exactly how we're perceived in, in the general public's eye. I, I know a lot of people view us as a, a either a classic rock band or a heritage act. And, and there's a number of different terms that you can use for that. And honestly, mm-hmm. none of them none of them seem like a derogatory term to be able to be a part of something that's that's lasted long enough to be put in that category is awesome at the end of the day we are artists and we're musicians and we love being creative and and even if making new music is is for social media and for the digital age and and to stay connected with fans in an online world and the shows are kind of it, it's it's a way to stay engaged and and drive attention to your tour dates and, and things like that so it's kind of the the opposite of what it was say i don't know i hate to say this but 30 or 40 years ago it's a <laughs> it's definitely become the the inverse of what it used to be no it, it, it's totally true because i feel like you know be you know being in my god it's so crazy like you said being in my late 40s now like i'm i past my mid 40s i'm in my yeah. late 40s but like you know it's like, official right we're there <laughs> dude, we, we're there dude we are there and i'm feeling every fucking year of it dude like every, But, you know, like I said, like you were saying, you you hit something on the head that I loved is that, you know, I I had talked to Tom Kiefer a couple of years ago. And one of the things we were talking about was uh, putting out new music. And he was and he had said, you know, he said, I don't see anything wrong with bands who go out and, you know, you know, tour behind, you know, their legacy of music or whatever, because that's their thing. He goes, he said, but he was like, as an artist, he was like, I have to make new music because that's just what I do. And so I, I love that, that, you know, and, you know, and, and, and sometimes with varying degrees of success, you know, bands do this, but like, you know, like, Skid Row, I've seen do it. I mean, the new material you guys put out, the EPs were just fucking great, you know? And like Kiefer's, well, Kiefer's albums yeah. were fantastic, you know? And, you know, I mean, I mean, God, I mean, who else is, you know, I mean, there's a lot of nostalgic acts out there who are, who are do just that nostalgia. But then there's bands, like you said, who are still putting out new music, but then going out on the road because it's fun, not going out because the label's going, you know, you need to sell half a million copies you know well that's that's exactly it yeah it's it's become uh, again in my in my perception that the focus has just i guess the the motivation for doing those things has changed and and that's not necessarily a bad thing and Mm -hmm. and you know i know plenty of of artists and bands who are who are out there and they're content to go out and play the the back catalog and and play however many shows a year they're they're comfortable doing and Mm -hmm. and maybe they're not interested in making new music or maybe a lot of, I know a lot of musicians that I, that I talk to and, and have relationships with, they're interested in making new music, but maybe you're maybe not in the context of, of their band per se. They might work outside of that and right. and do things on their own or maybe session work or things like that. So I, I think at the end of the day, like, like what you're saying and, and what you mentioned that Tom Kieford said, it's just, it's kind of part of what we do. And I think, I think everybody needs a creative outlet, whether you're rearranging furniture or whether you're making music. I don't think people realize that, that 
we're all kind of creative by nature. We all have that little, we all have that little compartment in our brain and, Mm -hmm. and it, it shows up in different ways, but for us, it's making music and we enjoy doing that. So, so we might as well do it while we can. Dude. So you are are like officially the longest running new member of Skid (laughs) Skid Row. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's true. Yeah. Talking about getting older. Yeah. uh, I mean, it's officially true. Yeah. I mean, so, cause you've been in the band now, 12 years 14 uh not, well not quite my first my first gig 10 with maybe, Skid Row right? was in April of 2010 correct okay, yeah, so I'm yeah, just yeah. over 10 years okay yeah uh, yeah again this year kind of seems like like it doesn't count but but it does mathematically we're still I mean we still you know we're still working behind the scenes and doing things uh so it's been just over 10 years so that I've been with the guys this is this is something that I always find interesting because I even you know you've probably being a drummer you know, you've probably always heard the, the running joke with Neil Pert and Rush is that he was always the new guy you know even though exactly. he was in the yeah. band like three times longer than the original drummer well, well, he, he was exactly he yeah. was the new guy you know and so like you know you are now pretty much in that same area almost. I mean, you're, you're pretty much doubling up on the amount of time that uh, former drummer Rob Afuso was in the band. Um, is there still this kind of feeling of being the new guy, or do you feel pretty solidified as a member of Skid Row in a, in a way that you feel like, okay, yeah, yeah, like this is my band? You know what? I I feel both of those things. I. Uh, but it's, I feel like, like, I know what it's like to be in, in my shoes and, and, you know, the old saying, and it's a cliche now, but, but until you've walked a mile in somebody's shoes, you know what, I'm, I'm with these guys and I'm in, in the van with them, or I'm on the, the bus with them, or I'm on a plane with them. And it's, it, I definitely feel like I'm a part of the organization and I feel like like we all all five of us have a great relationship with each other and that extends to the to the crew that we have with us as well we have a really close-knit group of of guys that have become a family mm-hmm. and that's not lost on me I'm very very much aware of how lucky I am in that sense and and I feel very welcome and it's a family like any other family uh, being right. in a band is in a lot of ways like a like a marriage and you know, we have days where we all get on each other's nerves and we need to get each other some space or, or maybe you're you're fighting for a particular idea about something and and maybe you're passionate about this particular cause and, and you know, you don't choose every battle, but some days you decide, nope, this one's worth it to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna take this one on and and like any other relationship we have those days, but at the end of the day it's very much like a family and and that means a lot to me. I definitely feel like ten years in it's my gig. I, I feel right. like, like I put in my time and, and, and I also, on the flip side of that, I understand my role in the machine. I understand that this band has accomplished great things without me, amazing mm-hmm. things without me. They've made amazing music without me. I understand people's uh, nostalgic attachment for a particular lineup. I think that's justified. I think, mm-hmm. I think I have bands that I'm nostalgic for certain eras of the the timeline for whatever reason mm-hmm. um i don't really honestly i don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about that i don't take it personal 
I'm a fan of Rob Afuso's playing as a drummer. I I think it's amazing. I think those records were were a huge part of my life prior to to being a part of the band. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't take any of that personal if, if maybe people outside of the organization don't see it quite the same as I do. It's, it's just not anything that, that I spend a whole lot of time worrying about, to be honest with you. My job is to, is to play drums and, and, and I've been able to find a, an organization that I seem to fit well with. And, Mm -hmm. and that's enough for me. So, I mean, I think you nailed it right on the head is that when you talk about there's certain things that people attach themselves to, like whether it be a lineup or like a particular member or whatnot. And of course, you know, I mean, you and I are very close in age in that the sense that, you know, I was listening when I was listening to Skid Row in high school, you know, to me, it was the music you know it was the songs it was the band like, right, uh, right like to me you know i had my favorite member of of the band like i had with any other band you know like with skid row it was right you know, it was rachel bolin because i was a bass player you know and I, I and and so things like that and so but at the same time in my older age what i've noticed is that there's kind of this divide of fans there's there's the fans that who i would i would want to categorize myself with where i still look at the band as a very current thing and i go i i i'm looking at it for what it is now like is it good is it fun is it is it is it tight is it well played you know and then there's the group of fans who are like you know and again, I hate to talk shit, but let's say, like Motley Crue fans, sure. for instance, like, you know, where like they could care less how bad of a singer Vince Neil is or the fact that they are lip syncing um, background vocals on stage. But they want that nostalgia. They want the glitz, the glam, the smoke and mirrors, you know, that's a, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you know, it's it's I guess it's a shame that, that some people are that way but then the flip side of that is what we do is very very subjective is that the right term it's it's yeah. it's artistic so it's you know when you, when you do something like what we do whether or not we like to acknowledge it you essentially put it out to the world for judgment and right. and that's it's true with anything artistic that's that's true with anything creative it's as soon as you you present it to the world, you're kind of presenting it to the world to have them form their opinion about it. Um, and for us, we're just, we're okay with that. The, the one thing that I think there's a little bit of a disconnect with, with me, there's so many people who feel as though they have to choose. Um, and anybody who knows the situation with our band understands that we do not have, have the, the original, lead singer. And, and that's, I mean, that's well-documented. That's been covered so well that there's really no need to go into all that. I, I don't understand from a stamp, a fan standpoint, the people that feel as though they need to choose one side or another. It's not as though we were all best friends and, and then we got divorced and you have to choose who you're going to hang out with. So the other person doesn't feel weird. It, it, right. it, it seems right. kind of silly to me. Um, but you know what people people do that and it's fun for them and and i i understand it all it's it's just not something that we as a band spend a whole lot of time focused on and 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 dwelling on if that makes sense no it totally makes sense because like one of the things i've all that you know um 
one of the things I always did have a lot of respect for, especially with, uh, you know, Snake and Rachel, was that, you know, you know, those two guys in particular, you know, and Scotty, Scotty to an extent, but mostly Dave and, you know, Rachel because of their sure. roles, you know, is, is the sure. amount of scrutiny and the amount of shit that they've had to just deal with. And, you know, like, so when are you guys going to you guys need to get back with Sebastian or whatever. Da, da. And like never did those guys ever back down or and not only did they never back down, but they never seemed to just like make a big issue. So it's like my respect for them as n- not just musicians, but as people in general f- to just be able to constantly have to take that, you know, face, you know, head on and just to be like, you know, yeah. eh, we're happy, you know what I mean? And I think yeah. It's, yeah, I, I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's easy for me to, to see both sides of it, given the situation I'm in. And, and for a lot of people who don't see both sides of it, I'll tell you what, there's a, there's a ton of integrity. There's a ton of, of, of class uh, on our end. Uh, anytime you hear those guys talking about it, it's mm-hmm. in response to somebody else asking them the question. Right. Everybody in an interview feels like, like I'll be the 500th person to bring it up. And then somehow or another, I'll get a different answer. Well, you know what? <laughs> it's, they've been consistent. They've been classy. They, they're, they've, they just, have have been honest and and again they've been consistent and it's easy to be consistent when it's coming from a genuine place they right we just want to go out and and play music and and have fun and be happy and yeah there's the business side to it it's it's foolish to think that there's not Mm -hmm. but our numbers are are not other people's business to tell us you know what we need to do as a band that's our decision to make and and that's their decision as as original members and founding members and and i put scotty in that category as well right it's it's, you know what they've just made a decision what what they want the future to look like and and again if if you hear them talking about it it's in response to somebody else bringing them up and and essentially forcing them to talk about it it's not something that 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 we really, again, we just don't spend a whole lot of time dwelling on it. So, yeah. And that's funny. Cause it, it kind of go back to the whole, like, uh, you know, kind of being the new guy re- coming in on the heels of a, you know, a couple of drummers actually after, uh, Rob Afuso left. Um, that's right. You came that's in right. as a fan. There's, obviously. A, there's some trivia questions in there as well. There's, a, there's more than a couple. We'll, so, we'll have that conversation at the end of the, uh, <laughs> the end of the chat. Here. So well, well, on, on, just let me see if I can, re, if I can remember, I'm going to, I'm going to try. I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I'm also, let's see, after Rob, they had a guy named, uh, uh Charlie and, Charlie Mills. Yep. And then they had Dave, David David Garza. Um, uh, Dave Guerra. Dave Guerra. He was from Atlanta. Beginning. Yeah. And then uh, that's uh, right. Yeah. And then Phil Verone. Correct. Yeah. These are these are slightly out of order, but yeah, you're getting them all. And, and then you one that was in there. Well, uh, there's a drummer by the name of Tim DeDuro who was in the band briefly as well. Uh, and he had a stint with the band Slaughter as well, and, and he's been around the scene for for quite some time. Uh, and he is in the timeline as well. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a few in there. Well, so of course, probably in your position, you're not really looking at going like, oh god, I gotta follow Phil Verone. You're more like, okay, I've got to cover this shit that Rob Afuso did because this is like the legacy music. Was there anything? Like, 
Well, to, just just to reiterate something too is that one of the things I always loved about Skid Row as as a as a young person and even now as an adult is be, you know is the musicianship. Like I've always been a fan of bands, musicianships, and I always thought that Skid Row's musicians were sadly underrated and overlooked as far as like how good of players they were individually I, well, and I as agree. a unit. Again, yeah, it seems. It seems uh, it seems biased if I say something like that, but if I put myself back in the role of of a fan or or a kid growing up listening to those albums, I, I definitely I definitely agree with that. I think they had they had a bit of a unique sound, but but they had some elements that that I think you had to listen a little bit deeper or or kind of look for. Um, mm-hmm. It's easy to you know they 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 wrote a lot of great songs as well, and and it's. Sometimes that overshadows, and not in a bad way. It, but it, there are some other elements to to what made that band so successful, um, and sometimes it goes overlooked. Oh, absolutely. But like, so for you, kind of, you know, coming in, you know, behind the kit, was there anything that when you got down to it and you started working with the band that you were like, wow, this is a little more complex than I was. Than I, than I thought because I feel like sometimes with bands like Skid Row you, you know even up on the surface it might sound kind of meat and potatoes but then if you really kind of break it down instrument per instrument you're like okay there's okay that's a little bit of work you know like was there one particular yeah, yeah. was there like a particular song that you were like oh man okay yeah I need to work on this one a little more <laughs> Dude, what, you know what that's that's a really good question and and anybody who is a musician anybody listening to songs it's you know maybe you've listened to the songs and 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 you've heard them your your entire life and maybe mm-hmm. you've heard them on the radio and you know you've you we've all you know driven around with our, our friends and, and cranked the tunes and we all know the arrangements we all know the songs we all know how to sing along in the car right and then there comes a day where you have to listen as a musician and you have to listen with the intent of recreating this on stage and it's a it's a little bit I say a little bit, but it's a as a musician, it can be a different different mindset. It can be a different approach to okay, now I've got to dig in here, and now I've got to recreate this, and I've got to recreate it more. I've got to recreate it for more than my buddy sitting next to me in the car mm-hmm. screaming as well. It's it's just <laughs> there's a different depth to to how you have to approach it. And I'm not gonna lie, there there's some great drumming on those records, and it's it was a bit of a stretch in in certain areas to really sit down and feel like I'm I'm playing that song the way I think people. W- it, I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on in those songs mm-hmm. that people would be disappointed or they would notice if it if it wasn't there. And I think about I have a really good friend whose name is Rob Mount, and he's a he's a fantastic drummer, and and him and I have become friends and, and he's actually been helping me out this year, Mm -hmm. teaching me some lessons online and just, he's just been a really good source of, of advice and, and inspiration. And I really, I really enjoy his playing as well, but, but he's been with Lou Graham and Lou Graham's solo band for a number of years. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of dealing with the same thing. You have this, this massively popular catalog of music and there are just certain elements to that catalog of music that you have to, your job is kind of to take people back to, to those memories they have of, of these songs. And, and when people leave the show, they want to 
and that they remember. And that's my approach to it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm a, I'm a different player. I'm a different person. It's, you know, I, I might perceive things one way. I might voice things slightly different. Um, so I really did have to dig in with a few things. And, and to be quite honest with you, 10 years in, there's still room for improvement. I see things here and there. I'll watch something on YouTube and, and yeah, it's good, but it's, you know, it could, it could always be better in my mm-hmm. opinion. And I'm, I'm aware of that. I, and I say all that as a as a credit to the original recordings as well. Those songs to me are are so much bigger than than any personal statement I'm going to make. There's room for that in in new music, and and there's definitely room for that. But it's not on songs that people are. Those songs are are a lot more than than me. It's it's that's my job is to recreate those those songs and those elements. Uh, but it can be a, it can be a challenge for sure. Yeah, because I mean, I was, like one song that really sticks out in my mind more than just about any Skid Row song is uh, is Monkey Business because that yeah. song, you know, first off being like one of the baddest fucking songs around in hard rock. Is oh, it's that great. Yeah, that song has so many varying dynamics to it. Like there right. is there is there's like zero room for complacency in in a song like that. Like, so it's like, you know, you really have to have that feel and that ability to kind of, you know, go with those dynamics and those little nuances here and there. And so like how much of that, cause, cause of course, like, and I don't know how much of it is because I'm a musician myself though, but like I can pretty much sing the drum parts to, monkey business in my head, you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, there's (laughs) so much ear candy throughout the, especially in that little breakdown, you know, like, is is that something that gave you or that where you felt like you had a little room to kind of wiggle and say, okay, this is where I can kind of find my own groove and do my own thing within this kind of, uh, dynamic or, Mm. or, or, or is that something that you've, felt like you had to approach like, okay, I need to nail it like he does. Well, it, my, my goal, the target that I set for myself, that particular song, if we're talking about that, that particular song, mm-hmm. my target was always to try to get as close to what I thought he was doing. Um, and I had, at the time, going back, you know, you scour YouTube and, and you're talking about songs that were, were massively popular before everybody was walking around with an iPhone and filming every single gig that they did. And, and there was no and, drum cam. You know, you know? <laughs> that, well, that's exactly it. And a lot of the footage that you find is, in all honesty, it's not great audio or it's, or it's a bit difficult to really, to really see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, there's plenty of footage out there. Um, yeah, my, my target was to try to get it as close as possible, but... But as close as possible, just with the understanding that I'm a I'm a different person. I'm never going to be a better Rob Afisa than he is. He, you know, it, it it's always subjective to to sometimes you just have a slightly different feel to it or a slightly different approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think I found with that particular song, it took me it took me some time, and it it really took me kind of paying attention and digging in a little bit. Um, I think I've I've gotten close with it, but I still occasionally I'll hear something that that wow oh, you know what that's 
that could be a little bit more solid or or mm-hmm. the arrangement of that particular song has kind of evolved through the years live we we occasionally right. you know improvise a middle section yeah and, like you extend that on, little breakdown you know yeah that's it yeah yeah so those are my moments those are my moments to go ahead and and stretch out a little bit and and sometimes the music doesn't even call for me stretching out it it just kind of play the support role and and Mm -hmm. let snake and scotty do their guitar solo and and you kind of have to understand that as well uh as a musician but but it's fun it's something that i really enjoy that whole the whole idea of chasing these little nuances and x factors and and then you get to the stage and you're full of adrenaline and maybe you've had a beer and it all goes out the window anyway (laughs) and you just hold on for dear life and do the best you can there's there's always that as well yeah it's so funny because i totally agree you 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 can never really plan like what's like you can go you can like you'll be on the wings of the stage going like i'm gonna fucking kill it tonight and you get up there and go oh my god my monitors are out you know <laughs> and like, well, you just, like, so i'm 99 percent sure that it would, it's a quote from mike tyson but I, i'd have to go back and check but i'm 99 percent sure and it's one of the best quotes and it's just amazing how often in my daily life it applies but i believe his quote was everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face <laughs> so it's kind of like like i feel like that's just you know it's it just applies to so many things in my daily life. I can sit home all day long and, and, and come up with the best laid plans. Right. And then when I get out there, it is what it is. That is the best. That is the best analogy to playing live. I think I could, I could, you know, I, 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 I'm, I might I might need to just get that tattooed somewhere on me, you know, because that's such a great I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like, like it definitely applies more than to just uh definitely more than just boxing that's for sure well good yeah well so the other thing too and this is of course this is like a, a curious question for me because you know i'm just so dorky about shit like this is that okay. as a visual person who loves like you know like i love drummers i love looking i love drum sets i just think drum sets are just badass the minute oh, I sure. get, yeah. the minute i get behind one it's like driving a stick shift i have no idea what i'm doing but like to look at them i'm like oh my god you know tommy aldridge's drum kit from like the 88 white snake tour with the big cage and everything it's like oh so yeah what yeah. why not go the big huge like double bass setup and whatnot and as opposed to the set that you have because obviously you make it obviously it works great for you i'm not saying it doesn't but do you know what i mean i'm thinking like just from someone who's not a drummer who's who's visual and who sees like bands with double bass kits and then some bands have single bass kits but play double bass and you know so i mean like right what what was what is like why not go go big you know what that's that's a really good question and it's a it's an interesting question because one that I've not been been forced to actually uh, <laughs> come up with an answer. Um, well, now you got so to. Honestly, I, <laughs> yeah, it's, this is not, this is maybe not the, the most entertaining answer, but I think I'm just comfortable and set in my ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm so used to, if I close my eyes and envision myself behind a drum kit, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm playing what I visualize and, and I'm playing what right. I see in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, we have actually talked about about doing some things differently with the stage and, and production for this coming year. And 
something that I've been wanting to do is kind of revamp the the drum kit. Um, you know, it, it's a good question. I, I think I don't remember exactly what drummer it was that that they they were asked about a cowbell or something like that, and mm-hmm. and the response was pretty accurate. It's well, as soon as I hear a cowbell in my head, then I'll put one in the kit. And I guess I just <laughs> I've been playing drums with a certain configuration for so long. It's just it's what's in my head. It's yeah. kind of you know if if I had these ideas and these things rolling around in my head that required all these other things I, I guess i would go out and get them but mm-hmm. but for now it's it's not something that's there i would like to do believe me i'm into the 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 aesthetics of it all and the the style and it's amazing how the style of drum kit can can kind of change the vibe of the stage and um we're definitely looking at possibly doing some some different things for next year so this might be my uh this might be my motivation to to beef it up a little bit well if you need Stay help tuned, dude i'll tell you I'll, now, I'll, you, now I'll, you got me thinking a little bit i'll totally help you build it man because your shit will look like yeah you know, terry bozia will you help me carry it around <laughs> will you help me carry it around and load it in everywhere i'll tell you it's what not the building it that bothers me it's the carrying it around i'll tell you what man if you if you can get me a bunk <laughs> on a bus and like just pretty much feed me taco bell and mcdonald's i'll do it it, it, it you know all right well we'll, we'll, we'll call talk. it we'll, if your bunk isn't taken up by all these extra drums we'll we'll, we'll work something out we'll work it out trust me i'm sure i'm sure my i'm sure lizzie will be more than happy to like part with me for a few months she'd be like yes please skid road right. take him on the road for a while you know <laughs> all right don't feel any obligation to bring him back yeah yeah just put him to work you know so it's like but uh but that's that always did fascinate me though because like um you, you know this is what i love about doing these podcasts with people is that like i never really go in with a plan but then somehow so it, it, they always kind of steer in their own direction and yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And being that we're t- kind of talking about drums like one of the things i was that, that just made me like just clicked in my head was i remember robert sweet from striper um like on the yeah. uh, on the on the old striper albums like you know, when it listed, you know, what the credits were, you know, Michael Sweet, you know, guitar vocals, you know, Oz Fox right. guitar, and it would say Robert Sweet, visual timekeeper. And I was like, that's, that's well, fucking brilliant because, because he kind of made it this kind of a visual thing. Do you know what I mean? Like with the drums set up sideways and with the whole, you yeah. know, he had the rack, you know, it's kind of like a it's, U-shaped It's crazy. Kit. And, and he still does that. It's it's super cool watching him play because he does exactly as you described. He sets up sideways mm-hmm. so the crowd gets a different a different vantage point than you would with the other ninety nine percent of the drummers that you've seen in your life. All of a sudden, you get mm-hmm. to see kind of this little sneak peek into into what's going on back there. But then, if you'll notice his kit, and he's been doing this for a very long time, but he'll surround himself. He basically has floor toms all around mm-hmm. all around him so so that's a very unorthodox way to set up a drum kit but when you watch him play he uses them and it looks natural and it's and i i would love to actually talk to him about it and just find out what okay what came first did you just wake up one morning and have the idea to do it and then start using them or right. or did you play drums and always wished, man, I would, I would love to have another floor Tom here because I have this idea in my head. And, and I'm always kind of curious if it, if it came 
about as a visual thing first and then became part of his playing or if it was if it was always there and he just got that at other three or four four times or however many he has and <laughs> right and right. I need these because that's what I'm hearing in my head that's what my body and my, and my brain want to do um, I would find a conversation like that to be interesting but I think all that stuff is fun and and I guess my my criteria would be do you use it if you're just going to set it up there for a prop and you could easily get by on three drums uh, that's something that just wouldn't wouldn't really interest me and and for drummers who are doing that, that's fine. If that's your gig, if that's the way you, when you close your eyes and you envision your band on stage and, and you envision the look of your stage, that's, that's yours to do with what you want. I would just want to feel like there's a purpose for having all that. I wouldn't want it up right. there as just a, just a prop, if that makes any sense. No, it totally makes sense because it was funny. It's like, I was thinking, cause as we were talking, I don't know if you've seen it and if you haven't, I'll send you the link to it, but there is like a behind the drum kit, behind drum kit footage of Dave Lombardo okay. from Slayer playing when, oh, they, well, okay. when they did that big four show at Yankee stadium years ago. And it was, yeah. and it was yeah. him playing um, War Ensemble, and the guy's got like, you know, the, I'm trying to remember what he has. Like, he has like two, he had two bass drums, two mounted toms, I think, uh, two floor toms, maybe a three or whatever. And I'm watching this guy play, okay. and he used every fucking inch of every drum. You know what I mean? And he then, uses it, yeah. But yeah. then just, at the same time. Well, yeah. And like I said, like not to knock him or anything, but then at the same time, I'm like looking and I'm, you know, say like, I don't know, Bobby Blotzer, you know, when he was in Rat had the same number of drums and I'm going, yeah, you probably could have got away with half that kit. But when you're playing in an arena, you know what I mean? And you're a hard rock or a metal band like that, who's used to everything being larger than life. Like it probably visually just looked and I'm not saying he didn't use all those drums, but maybe he didn't need to have them all there at one time. <laughs> sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so. no, it's, yeah, there's, there's really, I mean, I'm not here to say what's right or wrong when right. it comes to that, that approach. I just, I just know how I, I view it. And, and if I'm not going to use it, it's uh, until I hear it in my head or find myself playing drums and wishing, Oh man, I wish this was here so I could do this little thing that I'm hearing in my head. Until that happens, I don't really, I've gotten to be quite comfortable with my setup. And and there's a lot to be said for just forcing yourself out of your comfort zone as well. Uh, So I should probably take a harder look at that after this many years. But it seems to be working for me so far. So we'll see. I read a really cool story somewhere years ago about uh nico mcbrain from iron maiden where uh they were uh and i forgot who it was they were either on like a this was like decades ago like they were either playing a festival or something but tommy lee from motley Crue, and then like i think two or three other really famous drummers you know hard rock drums at the time were sitting behind nico mcbrain's kit because they wanted to see how his feet worked because he does all these oh, like right. doubles and triplets with a single pedal and they yes, could not does, yeah. and they did not believe that he only had one. and i was thinking to myself like that's fucking yeah. great so for you is there a specific drummer where you, you kind of look to kind of like that that uh, might be out of your genre like you said but then you just be like i admire the fuck out of that drummer 
You know, there's there's so many drummers that I really, and, you know, I have my like any musician, uh, I have my my short list of favorites, um, and some of my favorites, it's it's I don't know if this is really the question that you're asking, but it's I have some drummers that I'm really enamored with and, and fascinated with, but I don't know that they're actually an influence of mine. I don't know if any of their stuff shows up in my playing. No, that's that's exactly that kind makes... of what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and I'm and of course now that that I'm on the spot, I'll I'll struggle to come up with an example. But I, you know, so okay, so there's a there's a newer band and there's a it's I say newer band and and they're younger. I would say within the last eight years or so, there's a band called the 1975, and there's a young kid by the name of George McDaniel who's their drummer, and I'm just kind of enamored with his style. It's it's a bit different than what I'm used to, and it's it's kind of I say it's unorthodox, but it's also a style of music that I don't spend a whole lot of time playing mm-hmm. or, or trying to to cop that sound. Uh, so recently, I've been kind of watching a bunch of live stuff and just trying to to figure out okay what's where's this guy coming from because it's it sounds really cool i like it um there's something about it that's drawing me to it i just can't really if i were to sit down and play i just uh i just don't think that way it's a it's a just a different way of approaching it a different way of hearing things um i think stuart copeland is a huge example of that he's i love his playing i mm-hmm. love his his style his energy but I sit down behind the drums and it's just not in my head. It's not in my voice behind my instrument, if that makes sense. No, um, it totally does. And because, he's got a very unique sound. Yeah, because there's something about having an admiration for um, musicians or, or, or even, even people who play the same instrument that you do that, like you said, might not influence your sound or that you might not even remotely play like, but that that admiration kind of... Um, reflects to you as a player in the sense that it's almost like a sign instead of an influence it's more like inspiration if that makes sense you know oh it absolutely does yeah and you mentioned Nico McBrain he's another one that that he's just had he just has his own unique thing and it's he just plays drums in a way that nobody else does and and obviously other people have have emulated him and there are some really good players out there that Mm -hmm. can can pull it off, but, but Nico's always going to be the guy that, that came up with it, with that style. And, and he sits down and plays drums and you can tell 30 seconds into the song, well, that's, that's Nico McBrain. And it's the same thing with Stuart Copeland. I think that's another good example. Um, And I really do admire that somebody who comes up with a unique voice on their instrument is, Mm -hmm. I think it's getting harder and harder to do. I, I think as more time goes on and it's, I'd like to think that not everything has already been done, but but it seems like at some point it's going to get harder and harder to come up with something that's truly unique. Uh, so I'm I'm definitely inspired by that. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if if any of that will ever show up in my playing, but we'll see. I'd like to think so. Yeah, but sometimes the sometimes just the inspiration is enough to influence you in a completely different i mean because there's, there's like you know i, I mean I, you know i'm a guitar player in a roots rock band you know but like i love you know robert fripp from king crimson and you know jacko jackson yeah. from king crimson and i love steve i and you know, band, you know guitar players that i would never even you know like if i picked up a guitar you know i couldn't play you know 
you know, anything that those guys would play because it doesn't come out of me the way it comes out of them. But I think that's that right. Yeah. Their passion for the instrument and the way that they have become innovators in a sense is an inspiration enough for me to continue to play because I kind of look at those guys and go, okay, so maybe it's not all on me to try to come up with this kind of like you said, like this unique voice, you know, they've got it covered, but it does inspire me to keep playing because it reminds me that there's so, there's so much to it than what's what we see in front of us. You know, like you said, like if you're sitting behind, uh, yeah, yeah, six drums, you know, yeah, Tommy Aldridge sitting behind six drums next to Tommy Lee sitting behind six drums is going to sound completely different, even if they're the same That's drums exactly right. and yeah. tuned completely the same. So, you know, yeah. we've all got our own voice, whether it's as distinct as other ones, it's debatable, but I think that it's hard to not right. have your own voice when you sit down behind your instrument. You know, I think you're right. And maybe as individuals, you and I, maybe we're just too close to it. Maybe I don't hear it in my playing because I'm just, because I'm just, I've lost the ability to, to kind of, kind of listen. You know how it is when you're playing guitar, when you're writing songs Mm -hmm. or, or you're doing in the context of what you do, it's you're hyper focused on on these small details and the, mm-hmm. and these things that you're working on, and maybe something a part that you're chasing, and you just don't feel like it's quite there yet, and you get so hyper focused on a lot of that that I sometimes lose the ability to just listen as a as a consumer of music. If if that if that makes any sense, I I I think I. I do have a tendency to go down that that path and it mm-hmm. can be it can be good. I mean obviously you want to push yourself and you want to to strive to be at a certain level, but you can sometimes lose the ability to to play naturally and and really just objectively listen to it and say, "Okay, does that really have to be as perfect as I'm trying to make it?" But but in context, in the song, in the music, with my bandmates, does it sound good? Does it sound exciting? Does it sound fun? Does that, you know, it's not always about being perfect, but I tend to to run with that sometimes and really just get too focused on on things that don't really have much to do with just playing music. You know, kind of like what you said, sometimes we don't always hear what we're doing because of being so close to your own music, you know, uh, th- this is where the whole, whole, like the validation aspect comes in, you know, like, you know, I've been working on, on a new song here at the house, you know, on my recording software and playing all the instruments myself. I've been working on it for probably a good solid, like, you know, two or three weeks. And like last night, okay. I finally just had to say, you know, ask, ask Lizzie. I was like, I said, like, hey, we, we used to sit down and listen to this. Like, you know, my wife's not a musician. Yeah, she's a scientist. You know okay. what I mean? But like I yeah. needed to step away from it because I was getting to the point where I was no longer able to actually hear what yeah. was coming yeah. out. Uh, you know, you, yeah. You know what I mean? And so for her, I then when she just, sat down lose, and listened to it and she was like, side of the horizon after a while, that's exactly what it is. And then you also run this, you know, this, this, you know, this risk of, you know, I always call it Chinese democracy syndrome where you're just like, Oh my God, it's not done. I have to add this. I have to add this, you know? So at some yeah. point it's like, we got to step away and have someone else go, okay, done or no, 
You know what I mean? <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, it's it's amazing to me that that's such a that's such a challenging thing. It's as artists or as, as musicians, songwriters, whatever it is. I know painters do the same thing. Oh yeah. People who cut hair will tell you that they do the same thing. They just they'll sit and look at somebody's head and they'll just pick and nibble at, at these little hairs. And if you don't just call it done, they would just shave everybody's head <laughs> out the door and they would just keep cutting and cutting and cutting and try to, every time mm-hmm. you try to even up one side, well, then you got to go back to the other side. And, and it's a really difficult thing sometimes to just know when to call it done. Mm-hmm. And this is a snapshot of, of where we were in this moment and it sometimes is really really hard to know when that moment is right and a lot of right. times it should have been should have been a week ago and, and you don't realize <laughs> it until you've gone a week past it uh, and it's it can be a difficult thing for sure and it's that I mean, part of that with me is the insecurity of of if i'm if i'm not quite confident about something it's it's mm-hmm. like i just feel like if you just give me one more take or, or one more day or one more week or what, right. I'll get it. I'll get it. And then sometimes you just have to, to walk away and say, you know what, that was, that's, that's where I am. That's a snapshot of where I am. That's, that's how I play drums. That's what I can do today. And, and sometimes that's a little bit of a, of a humbling experience, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, I swear to God, I feel like this became drum talk, you know, so, which I love. It really because, did. Yeah. Because, you yeah. know, again, like I said, I had no idea. Oh. I was just like, you know, so when's Sebastian coming back? No, I'm just kidding. But do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I, I loved getting into this with you and I feel like I, we could talk drums all fucking day, man. So maybe we well, need to have a show. Well, that's the problem with me is I could. Um, so I don't know if your listeners are going to be quite as entertained by this. You and I were hopefully, hopefully you got some drummers out there listening. You know, but, uh, yeah, I, I can, uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, as a as a person, you know, as a listener myself, of uh, you know, you know, you and I have talked about this too. Is that you know, I, I you know, we're big dorks about music and musicians and pe- bands that we love. Yeah. So, like, I like hearing things that are not just the average, you know, questions. You know, what's your favorite song? You know, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's 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 kind of a yeah, it's it's cool to kind of be able to kind of get into some aspect of somebody that they don't get to talk about a whole lot, you know. And you know, unfortunately, it's sad that the drummer from Skid Row doesn't always get to talk about drums as much as he wants to. But God damn it, you you talked about drums for almost an hour with me, dude. So, well, you know, I I appreciate you giving me the uh, the outlet <laughs> to do that. It's nice to uh, it's nice to unload a lot of that drum talk I've been I've been keeping inside. <laughs> tell your t- tell your wife that she's welcome, man. <laughs> Oh, yeah, she's gonna be she's gonna be happy. I've got it out of my system for at least the next two days. So exactly. Well, look, dude. Well, I am gonna I'm gonna let you go and everything because, like I said, we could do this all day again. But uh, but thanks again, man. And obviously, you know, you know, everything's kind of on hold right now with Skid Row and yeah. you know, new music and stuff. But um, we're gonna hear some new music, right? Like, you definitely are. Okay. We don't have uh, we don't have an exact date. Uh, and I know we've been saying that for a while, but we're, we're working on it. And you know, it's, this is kind of the short answer, but mm-hmm. when we feel like it's time, when we feel like we're ready and we've got the product that we want to put out there, you, you guys will be the first to know it's a, it won't be a secret and, mm-hmm. and we're working on it. And we just going back to what I said earlier, we're just taking our time and, and 
and doing this for the right reasons and having fun with it. And, and when the time is right, it'll, it'll get out there. So, and we haven't, we definitely haven't abandoned the, uh, the project. We're enjoying the process and, and, and we're working, even though this year has been a little weird for everybody. It's yeah, it's yeah. still happening. Well, good, Dan. Well, well, look, I'm super psyched. Uh, hopefully, we'll uh, next time we talk, we'll uh, we'll actually be like sitting at a bar or something and doing this live, and not that would be nice. To worry about yeah. shit. <laughs> you know, but... I know. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll be. Uh, whew, hopefully, things will be different. That's for sure. But, I know, uh, dude. Well, we'll see. Well, thanks again, Rob, for taking so much time to talk today, man. And uh, it's it's pleasure Thank as you. always, yeah, dude. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. I can't believe what you've been told.